We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. This is Corey Willis with PVI, and you're listening to the Diesel Podcast. I'm Adam Blattenberg from Diesel World. This is Dan, owner of Dan's Diesel Performance. I'm Cass from Diesel Doctor of Tennessee, and you're listening to the Diesel Podcast. What is going on, Diesel Nation? We're excited to have you guys with us today on the number one diesel truck podcast on iTunes. Today's episode is really cool. What got me into really automotive performance in general was television. And going back 10 to 15 years, it would be watching TV shows and seeing a truck build, a restoration, or aftermarket products be put on one, and then seeing it tested. And today's guest is is one who got me into the whole automotive scene, and, and really it's what ignited the passion that I have for vehicles and performance and just you know builds, things like that. So today, Kevin is joining us, and... He's got a super cool build. I mean, this this thing, it's a it's a C10. It's got a custom chassis, and he's putting a 5-liter Cummins V8 engine in it. He's already got it set, and he's got some really cool plans for power and bringing the whole truck together where it's something that looks cool, that's functional, and you can have fun driving it, you know, daily driving it, taking it to races, different things like that. So we're really excited to be able to bring this story to you guys and have him shed some light on not just the truck and the build and the details, but also how media's changed, specifically automotive media and the, the process from you know television and different ways you can access information and kind of deliver the content that you know your listeners want. So he's got a lot of cool insights, and we're, we're looking forward to chatting with him today. Before we get to it, though, we want to let you guys know you're going to hear a lot about 5-liter Cummins on this episode. And PPI Tuning, those guys have been offering tuning for the 5-liter V8 since 2016, and they've got a ton of different options for you depending on the use of the truck, what you're looking to do with it. So make sure you go to ppi.com, check out what they have, and if you have any questions, just you can message them right on their, their website. They're more than happy to answer anything that you might have and walk you through the process of being able to increase the performance of your 5-liter Cummins V8. And also, Alligator Performance. If you go to alligatorperformance.com, use Podcast 5, you can get 5% off your order. They have different sections on their website, so if you do have a Nissan Titan with a Cummins in it, you can see all the products that are out there in the aftermarket. Or if you got a Ford Power Stroke or a 6.7 liter Cummins or an L5P or LML or LB7, anything that's out there, the diesel, they have it. So go to alligatorperformance.com, use Podcast 5 at checkout, and get 5% off your order. All right, let's get to the podcast with Kevin and learning more about this custom build. Kevin, it is fantastic to have you on the diesel podcast today. It's a uh... I'm, a, I'm definitely a, a long-time fan, so <laughs> I'm really excited to be able to chat with you. I remember watching TV shows back in the day and learning things I didn't even know that I needed to learn about, auto body performance and cars and things like that, so it's, it's an honor to have you on today. Well, thank you so much, Patrick, and uh, you and me both. I, I come from a background of watching TV before I was uh, you know, producing and hosting television as well, so uh, I'm right with you, man. I'm a fan. It's uh, it's one of those things like it. I think that's what originally got me into automobiles, cars and trucks and performance and things was just seeing 
what was out there. It wasn't around me really in my neighborhood or community, but I could always tune in and watch and, and see things. And, and I think, you know, what's, what's been going on with racing, with media, with all the different platforms that are out there is we're able to see so much. And before we get into your project, for any of our listeners that are out there that are like, you know, they, they want to know more, want to know more about your expertise, the things you've done. I just wanted you to introduce yourself to the Diesel Podcast audience and, and tell us, you know, what, what your background is and, and what you specialize in. Well, my name is Kevin Tate. Um, I grew up around cars. Uh, I was uh, baptized by fire, if you will. Um, my, my uncle Herb had a salvage yard, and me and my brother and my cousins, uh, you know, we figured out how to turn wrenches in, in Uncle Herb's salvage yard, and we made, <laughs> we made him mad a bunch of times taking the wrong parts off and maybe, maybe breaking some stuff. But, but it, was, it was our, you know, it ended up, you know, I don't mean to get all philosophical right off the bat, but it ended up being kind of our communication basis and our way to, to bond together and, and grow up and, you know, and it creates all these great memories. You know, the smell of old cars will always be with me. I can, I can smell the inside of an old Buick and it brings back childhood memories. So, so that's where I grew up with, uh, with the love of cars, watching my dad fix cars. My dad's a paint and body guy and um, net, not necessarily handing him wrenches, but just being around that environment. You not only learn through osmosis, but you, you know, you develop a passion for it because it's a connection, you know, with the people that you care for the most. So that's my grassroots um, connection to automotive and all things, uh, you know, vehicular. And um, when I decided to get serious about a career, uh, I had this in my blood, and I, I really focused hard uh, on the collision repair aspect of, of automotive you know, automotive everything, and uh, and became the best paint and body guy that I could, so I could take care of my family better. And from there, I have also a background in in performance. I tried to be Van Halen for about ten years. <laughs> we see <laughs> we see where that went. But um, so you know, you never really love the the you never really lose that um, that passion for a performance as well. So you know. Um, I ended up producing uh, instructional DVDs on fundamental techniques for auto body repair. Uh, I was comfortable enough in my skin because I grew up around it because I was, I was good at my job. I, I, I had a, a really good career in collision shops. I was a, a painter. I managed shops. I had my own shops. Uh, I was a body tech. So I felt like I knew the fundamentals enough to to put out a video that showed people the basics, the guys that wanted to learn on their own or guys that maybe had tried and made mistakes on their own. So I started the company called Paintucation in 1999. And uh, Eastwood was the first company to pick up my instructional videos. And uh, we celebrate our 20th year with them um, selling my instructional videos and me working with them as a company it, this year. It's kind of a fantastic uh, anniversary for me. And from there, of course, I stayed in uh, automotive collision repair, built my own vehicles, and uh, carried with me all this accumulative knowledge and experience with, um, with now in the, I guess, the arena of coaching people, of trying to help people um, either recover from mistakes or prepare themselves enough to not make them in the first place. And that's kind of been my mantra ever since. 
So it would be cool enough to be, you know, a successful collision repair painter and technician and have this side hustle that, that um, sells instructional DVDs that helps people along the way. Uh, so then enter television production. You know, uh, my videos gave me the experience to, to be on camera. I basically taught myself how to, to host TV shows through my instructional videos. And coming from a, a musical background, I was unafraid of a recording studio, and a TV studio is really nothing more than a recording studio uh, with video cameras in it. So it was an atmosphere that I was comfortable in. I could walk in and assume that role. And since I had the technical background and technical knowledge from my life, um, the two worlds kind of blended together. And Patrick, you talked about watching, watching the TV shows and, uh, and thinking how cool that would be. Yeah. Uh, you know, I've, we've all had daydreams. We've all wanted to be, you know, different things. And I, after I um, um, decided to do the instructional video company, and it was getting some legs, uh, I kind of set my goals a little bit higher, you know, uh, and, and I thought, you know, wouldn't it be fun to host one of those shows? And I was kind of confiding in one of the guys that used to be at Eastwood and shut me off. I'll talk all day. About <laughs> oh, no, this is good stuff. <laughs> no, for sure. Well, thank you. Um, but I was talking with one of the buyers at Eastwood, and I said, you know, his name is John Sloan, uh, and he's a great guy and a wonderful man. And um, I, I said, you know, I said, John, I, I – I'd like to host one of those TV shows, and I don't know who to talk to. And so he gave me a couple of names of people that Eastwood as a company advertised with. Uh, one of them was a company that uh, produces Dennis Gage's show. The, um, uh, is it My Classic Car? I think it is, yeah. So, and, and I talked to those producers and said, hey, I want to do this. How do I get good at it? And the guy actually you know, uh, gave me enough advice. He said, you know, learn how to use an earpiece. I didn't even know, know what an earpiece was. Uh, and, and, you know, he gave me some pointers and took time out of his day to say, here's what you need to be good at. And then, you know, throw your resume out there. The other person that, that I got to talk to was Stacy David. We're both in the same area. He's in the Nashville area, and I was in uh, Pulaski, Tennessee, which is about an hour south of Nashville. So Stacy, again, graciously took the time out of his day to um, – to, uh, to talk to me and um and i you know i just said hey you know i i kind of want to do what you do and and um it, have you got any advice for me and he said well blah 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 blah. so you know i i boldly asked him i think if um if i could be on his show and he he said no but i tell you what i can do he said if you want to work with me on some projects um i can help you promote your videos on my show and i said yes i said yes immediately so Stacy and I worked together on a couple of different projects. Um, basically, I gave him world-class paint jobs, and he mentioned my DVDs on television. And it was fantastic. It taught me the power of television right then and there because it was amazing. We went from shipping videos out of the spare bedroom of, of my house to when Stacy dropped, you know, we did a video tour of, uh, first it was a, a square body blazer and then the, the copperhead pickup truck, both gas burners, sorry about that. But um, uh, he did a video tour and he said, hey, if you want to learn how to do a paint job like this, go check out Kevin's videos. You can get them from Eastwood. So I get a call on the Monday morning from Eastwood and they say, I don't know what you did, but, you know, our phones are shut down and we're flooded with requests for your videos. You better get some more of these up here. 
So it was, it was kind of an amazing baptism to the power of television and advertisement and this genre that I ended up being in, which is uh, automotive how-to. So that kind of, um, that inspired me to, uh, to really seek that goal of, of being a TV host. And um, again, I was familiar enough with being in a recording environment to, to be comfortable in that avenue. And again, through Eastwood, they connected me with some producers at the DIY network. So from there, uh, I was given the opportunity to be a credible walk-on guest and talk about, uh, they had a couple of automotive shows at the time. They've since scrapped everything automotive and gone to all home improvement. But I was a host on uh, Classic Car Rest, I'm sorry, I was a guest on Classic Car Restoration uh, with Steve Mignante. And Steve was the host of the show, and I was the paint guy, and, and I came on, and, you know, we did some projects and stuff like that. Well, that got me introduced to to the, the executive producers over at a company called River Media that was a subcontractor to DIY Network. And when they were casting for a new show, um, I was asked if I was interested in throwing my, my uh, hat in the ring, and I said, yes, I would. And, you know, long story short, I got the gig. I hosted a show called Classic Rides for uh, two and a half seasons on uh, on DIY Network, and after the half season, which was it wasn't like I got fired. It was a mini season on uh, honestly, it was restoration of a Vespa scooter. So uh, yeah, yeah, I chuckled too. <laughs> but you know, and I, and I jest about that. Our, okay, so our first season on on Classic Rides, we restored a '65 Harley Electroglide. Way cool. You know, first year of Electric Start, and still had the kickstart. Pivotal motorcycle in Harley David his, his Harley Davidson history. Fun thing, got to ride it. The second, um, the second uh, season that we did, we did an Airstream trailer, and I remember thinking, "Oh no, man! We went from a cool Harley motorcycle to an Airstream. Man, what what?" You know. So I, I was I was unabashedly disappointed until I started um, really digging in, doing my homework on the story of Airstream, which is, if, if anybody listening ever gets the chance, uh, research Wally Byam. He's the guy that invented Airstreams. He is the classic American dream story. It was fantastic to do the homework and learn about the, the history of Airstream, and it's literally more like an aircraft than, than a travel trailer. And uh, it, was, it was a really interesting learning curve, and I ended up loving doing that series after that. And then we did Vespa, and Vespa was an interesting story in itself. So uh, I've always been kind of a nerd when it comes to history. And I'm sort of a sponge when it comes to learning. And uh, I just really enjoyed soaking up the, uh, the stories and the backstories with those things. So it, it made me being a gearhead car guy, restoring an Airstream, okay. Because it was a cool story. It was fun stuff that I could show how to do with my hands. And it was a fun gig on TV. So um, I will circle back with all of that to, uh, to the story of, of uh, Mr. Mr. Cummins, who ended up putting a diesel in an old Packard uh, to prove to his banker that he had a viable concept of diesel engines in passenger cars. So, again, the quintessential American dream story, the American success story, uh, written over and over again by entrepreneurs. And so I guess that's why you're talking to me here at uh, the Diesel Podcast. And, and uh, it's kind of a cool full circle moment, <laughs> sort of. Oh, oh yeah, it all – it was – it, we we hear from you know on the on these episodes we chat with entrepreneurs we talk we talk with shop owners diesel fans people who do restorations and 
it, it all starts with that connection. And I remember way before I even knew what diesel performance was or even what a Cummins or Duramax or Powerstroke was, I remember watching you and Stacy David and that got something turning in my head of this is really cool. I want to learn more. And then it, it just kind of grew from there. And it was not long ago. I'm on, I'm on Instagram and we had Josh from CFT performance on the podcast recently. He's got a really cool Nissan Titan with a, a Cummins five liter Cummins in it. Does, does some really cool stuff with it. And I see he's there in your shop helping you. And I'm like, wait, we just took something that I, <laughs> I watched way back when combined it with diesel performance. I've got to talk to Kevin. I've got to ask him about this project. And I wanted you to, to explain to our audience what you're working on. It's super cool. You can explain it way better than me, but I'm really excited to see this project and watch it and learn more about it. All right. So I'm very excited about this. You know, I'm a paint and body guy and a fabricator. And over the years, I've learned and shut my mouth and listened to mechanics that know way more than me. So I want to say right off the bat that I'm not a diesel mechanic. However, I've worked on a bunch of different vehicles. I've um, done diesel high performance upgrades on the trucks TV show and truck tech after that. Uh, I've worked with people like um, Banks Engineering. Uh, Gail Banks is a, is a huge mentor. Uh, Jack Roush, um, you know, Bully Dog, all those companies that had, uh, you know, programmers that they wanted to advertise and get out there to a mass market. We got to play with their toys. So I'm not unfamiliar with diesel stuff. You know, I'm proud to say that, that I'm a really good paint and body guy and fabricator, but one of my biggest strengths is I know what I don't know. And um, so there we are with my, you know, just coming clean. I'm not a diesel mechanic. I know that I'm not. But guys like uh, Josh Chapman, um, he, uh, he is. And uh, Ian Johnson, uh, my executive producer on this series, he is. And so I can stand on the shoulders of these guys and, and uh, you know, participate in this, in this platform and, uh, and be – be confident that, uh, that I'm not going to screw anything up. So full, full circle back to the truck. I'm a truck guy. I love trucks. Pickup trucks, we're in rural part of Tennessee. You got to have a pickup truck. So, uh, you know, I was a host of Trucks TV for 10 years, and, um, you know, it's, it's in my blood. So I had this vintage C10, 1971 C10, uh, and um, Ian Johnson had this crazy idea to put in the 5-liter Cummins turbo diesel engine in it, and I thought, heck yes, let's do it, because, you know, I did a bunch of research nobody else had. So what we're doing is a two-wheel drive. Um, it's technically mid-engine, and we can go into that later. 5-liter uh, Cummins uh, turbo diesel engine with a 6-speed Ison automatic transmission in what's going to look like a 67 C10 pickup. Um, I love pro touring and the whole twisty roads. Uh, I love drag racing too, but I like a vehicle that stops, steers, and starts and goes really dang fast and brakes really well too. So we're going to do this with this pickup truck. So uh, I, I hear myself talking and I'm bouncing all over the place because I'm stoked over this thing. Uh, we're going to have an incredibly high-performance vehicle that is unique. I've never seen another one in a C10 truck. Uh, I'm talking about the, uh, the Cummins 5 liter. And uh, it's kind of an emerging platform uh, that guys like um, 
like Josh at CFT, are brave enough to dive into and pull apart and see how they can improve it. So I, I kind of feel like we're on the ground floor of a really cool um, aftermarket swap into vintage pickup trucks with this modern 5-liter, you know, basically small displacement V8 uh, turbo diesel engine. So that's what we're doing. The project sits on a Schwartz Performance uh, chassis, fully boxed chassis, all race car stuff. There's spherical joints on every, uh, every suspension component. There's not a bushing on this thing. Uh, it's a triangulated four-link rear axle with a full float nine-inch rear end, 35 spline axles, uh, fully boxed frame, uh, lots of tubular members, uh, Flaming River power rack. It's, a, it's an FLA suspension system, but it's got a, a, a stabilizer arm rather than a full V lower control arm, 14-inch six-piston caliper bare brakes all the way around it. And uh, it is a super functional uh, chassis that's made for a short wheelbase C10 pickup, 67 to 72. So from there, we took the cab from my 71, plopped it on there, and cut a giant hole in the firewall to fit this engine in, and, uh, and we're building the truck around the 5-liter. <laughs> so, <laughs> so if you want to watch something interesting and in how to reverse engineer and, and you know, re-see in a vintage pickup truck to in, in, encapsulate a, uh, a stupidly large, giant diesel engine, <laughs> watch, watch hands-on cars. What is so cool about that platform is, and I think exactly what you mentioned is, yeah, it comes in the Nissan Titan right now, but there is such a huge, passionate aftermarket to swap engines. And yeah. especially on the diesel side, it's always been, well, you know, take a 12-valve Cummins or a 5.9 common rail and, or a 6.7 Cummins. But it's like this 5-liter, it's just, it's a different package. It's exciting. It's new, and it, it's so cool to see the aftermarket and all the companies and people like yourself jump in to say, "Hey, this is new. It hasn't been out long, but there's so much technology and understanding that we have about these other platforms. Let's combine it. Let's make something really cool yeah. and inspire other people out there to to go after their own project." Well, I mean, if you look at the, all the YouTube videos and. Uh, people that are whining about this Titan truck, the Titan XD, and the, oh, this and that, and blah, 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 I don't like it. I, you know what? Um, trial by fire here. Ian Johnson's got a 2018 uh, Titan XD four-wheel drive. We have dragged a, a, an open car hauler across the country uh, almost three times with his truck. It has got tons of power. It gets good fuel economy. And it doesn't give a crap what's behind it on a trailer. It's comfortable, and the platform is absolutely solid. So I was sold 100% on this drivetrain before we even started this project. So you know, naysayers can say nay all they want on this platform, but this 5-liter Cummins is a really viable powertrain. And uh, guys like, again, I'm going to plug his name all every chance I can, Josh at CFT, um, is is uh, cracking the code on these things. You know, he's got a compound turbo system on his, on his personal truck. Those of you that follow Josh, uh, you, you know this thing. He, he blasts videos on this thing all the time. He wore out a set of tires for you guys on an Instagram video. And he's he's pushing 1,200 foot-pounds and 800 horsepower on a stock engine with, with a little bit beefier injectors. But, but holy crow, man. You talk about potential on a stock engine. We, we're not talking O-ring and heads. We're not talking, you know, giant injector pumps and, and stuff like that. You know, this is a stock engine that he's throwing more air and fuel at and, and getting incredible performance numbers. So you take something like that 
and you throw it in a vehicle that weighs literally half of what a Titan XD four-wheel drive is, and you've got serious performance, pal. <laughs> oh, yeah. You know? Well, that's what got me excited when I saw your project, because I know the engine isn't going to stay stock, and I, and I wanted to ask you, what, what are you guys shooting for with, with power and with where you're keeping that kind of power band at is it something you know where you guys are going to go the compound turbo route or maybe a larger single or, or what do you guys think you don't know um it's it's a dual gate turbo that's down in the valley from uh you know the original it's a common rail five liter v8 diesel with a dual gate turbo or a two-stage turbo if you will with tiny tiny little impeller wheels they're really cute josh brought them with him when he came <laughs> down here for a measuring session and you know i say that in jest because it's a it's a, it's a really good strong platform yeah. but um, we're, we want to turn it up, you know, I mean, we could throw, uh, throw a good tune on it, open it up, delete the EGR and all that kind of stuff. And since it's in Tennessee in a vintage vehicle, I don't have to use diesel particulate fluid and, and all that kind of stuff. So, um, or, or filtering, uh, or, or the, you know, the urea or anything like that, since it's going to be VIND as a 71 Chevy truck. <laughs> so... So we can uncork it, is what I'm saying, and we can do it yeah. legally. So um, to leave it bone stock was the original goal because, holy cow, it's, what, 350 horse right from the factory and um, almost 600 foot-pounds. I'm sorry, no, a 310 horse and almost 600 foot-pounds. That's pretty dang stout, uh, the 600 foot-pounds. And really, as we all know, uh, the torque is what moves the vehicle down the road. Horsepower is a measure thereof. So the torque is, was really the fascinating thing for me. But we can't leave it stock. We can't. So, so we've, we've got uh, – it's a larger single turbo. I think it's a 60 millimeter. It's one that Josh uh, did a bunch of stuff on in the first version of his Titan. And um, we're going to leave the injectors the same, uh, stock engine top to bottom, um, and, you know, EGR delete, and uh, open up the exhaust – and he's done dyno testing with that turbo on his truck, and he ended up with, um, I think it was 600-ish and about uh, almost 900 foot-pounds at the, at the wheels. So that's, that's, that's smoking. I mean, that's, if I can get that kind of a power range in this C10 pickup, um, I don't care who you are. That's fun performance gas, diesel, hybrid, electric, whatever. It's about a fun vehicle that's, that's balanced and, uh, and uh, capable of, of not only just going really fast and blowing the tires off of it, you know, which is fun, but, but let's have something that's functional too. So, um, yeah, so we're going to turn up the wick a little bit and uh, make it into a true performance vehicle. And uh, and I'm, I'm like I said, I'm excited about it. I'm excited about being on the emerging uh, level of this platform of engine and watching other people um, and other companies embrace this uh, this five liter Cummins. Is the hardest part about? Well, I'm sure there's lots of difficult parts of this project and challenges that you have, but is the largest one taking this engine, having it in the platform and basically fitting everything else around it? Or what kind of say challenges, if someone's listening right now and they're like, hey, I love C10s, I love the Cummins engine, I, I, this is something I've been thinking about doing, what's the first major hurdle that they're going to potentially come up against when they're looking at doing something like this? We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. 
Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Um, it's kind of twofold. We have the, the opportunity of setting this engine down in a Schwartz chassis. It's a fully boxed chassis. Um, it's reinforced. It's got um, tubular supports on the inside of the rails, and it's very, very strong. It's made, it's a road race chassis. So um, it is very strong inherently. The, uh, we outweigh like an LS engine transmission, like a 6-liter and a 4L80. We out, outweigh that by about 400 pounds. We're right at 1,360 pounds dry with the engine and transmission. We weighed it. Um, so your first challenge is going to be either reinforcing your stock C-channel chassis to, to accommodate the weight of this thing, uh, or start with an aftermarket performance chassis. Uh, the second thing is, is the size of the engine. So if anybody's been following us, and, and uh, if, you're, if you're on Instagram, it's at HandsOnCarsKT, my Facebook page for Hands on Cars, which is the series that's going to be airing these episodes. Uh, my Facebook page is uh, Hands on Cars with Kevin Tates, uh, T-E-T-Z. And um, you can see the different photos of this thing as it's being constructed. The engine setback is ridiculous in this thing. So the second challenge is the sheer size of the engine. Now, the accessory drive is like a, a truck LS engine. The accessories, uh, AC pump, and the alternator are low and outside. So I didn't have the time, and we didn't really have um, the opportunity to redesign the accessory drive into like an upper Fiat or anything like that. So we went with the original placement of the accessories for a couple of different reasons. I wanted a stock belt configuration, and, um, and we just we kind of uh, fell into an opportunity to have it set way back, and that helps us with weight bias. So just like in the LS platform, somebody will come along and redesign the accessory drive on this engine, or somebody that has a measuring tape and a, and a, and a good welder uh, can redesign their own accessory drive. Or we could have lobbed off the, uh, the air conditioner pump and had, a, had an air conditioner truck that I could drive in the fall and the spring, and I wanted all the accessories. I want this thing to be comfortable. It's a street truck. So the, the, the other challenge, and I know I'm speaking in very long sentences, and I apologize for that, but the other challenge is the, uh, the width and depth of the accessories. So what that forces us to do is set the engine back far enough to where the, the frame rails are parallel, and they neck inward right before the shock tubes, or shock towers, if you will, on, on this Schwartz chassis. And um, so basically what we did is we set the engine where it would sit and where it would have a nice, happy home, and quite honestly set it uh, in place um, where practically the only place it would fit in this chassis, and then locked it down, made sure we had a three-degree pitch back, um, had it parallel and even side to side, and centered as much as possible in, uh, within the frame rails, and then <laughs> we set the cab back down on it and started marking and cutting. So um, challenge number one, um, get a strong chassis. Challenge number two, find a place where this silly thing is going to fit or redesign the accessory system. Uh, challenge number three, 
uh, get your saws all out and start hacking your truck up because um, you've got an amazing amount of engine setback. So guys that haven't seen pictures, and you, you, you'll get a kick out of this spec as well, from the axle center line, the way we measure engine setback is uh, axle center line on the front and how many inches back number one cylinder is. So on this uh, V8 liter, um, our axle center line to the probably about the middle of number one is um, it's like 10 inches. So we've got between where the stock radiator goes and the front of the accessory drive is 27 inches of engine setback. That's this giant cavernous hole that we have. That's how much <laughs> we've got this engine set back. So, um, you know, I, I had to completely redesign the inside of the cab. I had to completely redesign uh, driver controls and um, brake and uh, and fuel pedal and, and things like that, uh, as well as the center console and reconfigure where my HVAC goes, uh, gauge cluster. I said I had a moment of silence and said goodbye to the windshield wipers. <laughs> and <laughs> so, so, you know, hot rodding, I love this quote. I can't remember whose it is, but hot rodding is nothing more than problem solving. So, um, you know, we've set up a whole crap ton of problems and we're solving them one by one. So, um, you know, that, it's not for the. It's not an engine swap per se. It's a drivetrain and vehicle swap. So um, it's a challenge. It is, and until somebody comes up with a different accessory drive on this thing, it's going to be. Um, you know, uh, it's it, somebody's going to have to do some uh, some whittling and uh, and and some homework. But you know, Duramax is huge as well. You know, if you're going to do an i6 Cummins engine, like a 5.9 or 6.7, that's a big engine, too. That's yeah. really long. So you're going to have to carve the heck out of, of, of something anyways. You're going to have to change it around. So, um, you know, one of the coolest projects that me and Ryan Shand ever did on the Trucks TV show was we called it Project Super Dooley, where we put a uh, uh, 79 Ford uh, club cab Dooley body on a 97 Dodge um a long wheelbase truck, extended cab truck, and um, we just basically did a body swap because there was there was Cummins kits for those seventy nine, uh, seventy seven, eight, and nine, seventy six through seventy nine, I think. Anyway, uh, the same design truck um, where you could swap your your Ford truck with a Cummins engine, but you're still dealing with the C channel frame and you're you're having to change all the architecture around. Um, we thought it was a better idea to just do a body swap on top of that uh, that diesel truck chassis, and it turned into a really cool project. Uh, there's still pictures of it online. We gave it a nice two-tone paint job. Um, we had all kinds of great opportunity to make great television about it, and that particular project was a very popular one for us, and, uh, you know, got to do things like... I don't know, just see what we can do with the mechanical limits of that 12-valve Cummins and what upgrades we can do. We did a, like a, a pump upgrade. Uh, of course, we did the dowel pin fix and all that kind of stuff to give it another half million miles and uh, just did all the, all the mechanical upgrades we could since it's not an electronic engine. But um, the benefit of that engine, as you guys know, is the fact that you need a ground power and an on switch for that thing. You could, you could put that engine in a shopping cart if it would hold it. So, you know, it's it's relatively simple to, uh, you know, to, to to do an engine swap with that truck. But anyway, so it, it was big fun doing that. But it was a giant, giant engine. Uh, so the thing about this, uh, the, the five liter, is that it's it's lighter 
And although it's taller and wider, it's more compact. Um, anyway, am I answering your questions at all? Oh, 100%. Yeah, <laughs> I, I'm, I have all these ideas in my head. And I'm thinking, oh, this yeah. is there's so many cool things that are that are going to happen here. And, and this is where I turn into more of a fan is I want to watch this. And I wanted to ask you, so as, as we, as we go, you know, forward through the summer, where can I go to watch what you guys are building and be able to see this, this project come together? Well, I'll, I'll tell you where to watch it. And then I want to, I want to talk about how we came to the place of, um, of where we're distributing this content. And you and I talked briefly about it yesterday, but, but it's fascinating to me and, uh, and it's an interesting place to be. So my show is called Hands on Cars. And uh, it's available to watch right now on Amazon Prime. If anybody gets Amazon Prime video, you can, uh, you can watch Hands on Cars. It's also on YouTube. Um, I did a series, well, I, the first version of Hands on Cars was a co-production with the Eastwood Company. This is Hands on Cars with Kevin Tate, <clears throat> where I'm producing it by myself and with the executive production of Ian Johnson, formerly of Extreme Off-Road from Spike as well. So we're on Amazon Prime. Season one of Hands on Cars is, um, is up. It's 16 episodes on LS swapping a 1990 Jaguar XJS. And um, basically what we did, was take a beautiful road car that was ridiculously problematic in everything except the body and the suspension. We gutted it, stuffed it with aftermarket, and made it into a nice car. Put a nice slick paint job on it and pissed off a whole lot of Jaguar purists uh, right from the start. <laughs> and it was glorious because, you know, they made this, they made this car for, for, it was the 20-year run for the XJS. It was supposed to be the answer to um, the, the E-Type, um, and and it failed horribly because it was it was um, unimpressive with power and it was problematic. The the Jag guys call it the Lucas Prince of Darkness electrical system. There's a clue, <laughs> you know. That comes yeah. from Jaguar enthusiasts. You know, so people say, "Oh, mate, why'd you turn?" Oh, all right, I get it. So we put we we put uh, painless wiring, vintage air a 6-liter LS engine, a 4L80 transmission, Holly support for all the electronics. I took the stupid Tevis uh, brake system off of it and put a vacuum booster system on it. So now it stops and, uh, you know, put some comfortable BMW seats in it. Uh, it's my wife's car. And, um, and we made it into a functional vehicle. It, it, you might as well be a 69 Camaro, I, I suppose, for the aftermarket. But those cars are beautiful. It sounds like I'm beating up on it. I love the cars, but I wouldn't. I wouldn't throw my wife the keys to that in stock form for nothing. I wouldn't let her drive down the street with that silly thing because it's going to break and it's going to be expensive to fix. Uh, a friend of mine said the rebuild on that is a 5.3 V12 engine. So the rebuild on that engine is about sixteen thousand dollars. Yeah. Okay, so a rebuild on a six-liter LS, yeah, you're talking eight, nine hundred bucks worth of parts, maybe another grand worth of labor uh, if you don't do it yourself. Um, a little bit of a difference there, and the power potential is crazy. We're at 400 horsepower at the wheels. When we started, we, we dyno-tested over at DVR High Performance with the 5.3 Jag engine. It made a 129 horsepower <laughs> at the tires. So... Um, we, we did a little bit better with the six-liter swap. So people that want to watch that swap uh, and, and kind of why we're doing what we're doing, uh, go to Amazon Prime and, and search for hands-on cars. The whole concept of the show was let's build cool cars because it's fun. 
you know, and not not silly fun like throwing wrenches and we get stressed out and got to go skeet shooting or go to the go-kart track, but let's do how-to. Let's solve the problems that come along when you you dig in and do interesting things to, to vehicles. And, you know, let's not BS about it. Let's not be stupid. Let's not uh, create fake drama. Let's just do what we love to do and maybe show you something along the way. So that was honestly the concept that, Ian Johnson came to me with after he left the uh, the um, uh, the extreme off road show. He had this um, he had this concept, and he had a non compete. Which in television, when you break away from a contract, there's a certain period of time to where you can't uh, work in the environment with a competitive show, and that's just that's just contract stuff. That's just television stuff. And um, so he was in his non compete, and he couldn't appear on television, but. I had left in 2014, so my non-compete was long since gone, and I was, you know, doing video production for a lot of different aftermarket production companies and doing uh, a bunch of stuff on my own for my paint education company, and I was free and clear of any contractual obligations. So um, we did the JAG series. So, um, you know, if if we can segue into that, if that's okay with you. Oh, yeah. So... Um, we wanted to do TV for the sake of doing good TV. Otherwise, let's go home. Um, so when you're in an industry, you have an, a unique insight as to how that industry is, is, um, is going, what advertisers are doing. And let's face it, advertisers are, um, are the way television stays on the air. Everything from network news is dependent on advertisers, uh, HBO cable, every bit of broadcast television is, is monetized by advertising. So when, when you're on the inside of this industry and you see that advertisers are figuring out that it doesn't work anymore, they're looking for alternative um, ways to engage uh, their, their customer base. And and there's really there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, you have to let people know if you've got a new cold air intake or if you've got a new exhaust system or uh, you know there's a, a, a Bully Dog's website's got a, like a high performance DPF and stuff like that. So you've got to let people know about that stuff, and and that's where automotive advertising comes in. So you know it's kind of a delicate dance of having integrity and showing new products and parts at the same time as. Um, is showing somebody you know, how to do something. And that's, that's why I love the how-to format is because it's not just let's put this part on and let's go see if we can spin the tires. Yeah, we do that, but we're going to show you how to put the part on and maybe how to fix it if it breaks. So that's why I love the how-to stuff. So we, me and Ian wanted to keep doing this. So um, the experiment was where do you put it? Well, different indicators and clues showed us that more people – are watching automotive content on app-based uh, digital platforms like computers or phones or iPads or uh, devices like this than are watching cable television. I think it's, it's like 2 million people a year are stepping away from uh, tethered cable. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a dinosaur that hasn't fallen down and turned to oil yet. And advertisers are scrambling, trying to find the next way to advertise and get their products in front of the people where they're watching it. So Ian's thing all along, and I get people ask me this, you know, when, when are we going to see you on TV again? It's a very flattering question because, you know, people liked what we did, and, and uh, I, I really enjoyed that format and doing television. I love the process of it as well. But I know that people are stepping away from cable. So 
when the opportunity came up to do social media shows, um, it was really interesting to me. So Ian's concept was um, let's do four to six minute episodes, no commercials, extremely high quality production value, and good TV. You know, so it's stripped down enough to where um, to where it's uh, it's all it's all meat, no fat. And, um, and we don't have time for commercials. Um, and the shows are sponsored by advertisers that are title sponsors with product integration. If, if Amsoil is a sponsor, then we're going to put Amsoil uh, oil in the crankcase. Uh, so that's, that's how it's monetized from advertisers wanting us to produce the TV that we wanted to uh, in, in short formats. So as you know, um, a 30-minute television show is divided into four segments. Each segment is about two minutes and 25 seconds long, so um, the rest of it is, is commercials. You know, we've got 20 minutes, well, that, maybe three-minute segments. Yeah, so we've got 20 minutes of TV and a half-hour show. The rest is commercials. So you've got four segments anyways. So what we thought we'd do would be to make an episode be like two big fat segments. So that's a nice watch. It's an easy watch, and it's a watch where somebody can sit on their phone not get in trouble at work, um, they may or may not be on a porcelain chair, and that's about the right amount of time to, uh, to watch one of our shows. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, I mean, you know, it's kind of funny to think about it, but, you know, that was the, that was the timer. It was like, okay, um, let's do a short-form show that, you know, really, you know, let's get in, let's tell the story, and let's get the heck out of Dodge. And, um, and, and it's shown to be a really, really... Um, Ah, uh, gosh, I don't know. It's e they're, they're easy to watch, and, um, and people are really responding to this type of show. I'm not going to say we've had kickback, but we've had people say, hey, I wish it were longer. And uh, what we're doing is when they're on Prime, we're going to be combining them into multiple episodes to make a little bit longer show, maybe a 15-minute show. But for the episodes that are designed to be on social media, they're still four to six minutes long. So back to the delivery mechanism. The way we put the shows out is we, we put them on Facebook, and from there they go to Instagram TV, and then they go to the title sponsor's YouTube channels, and from there, once the series is run, whether it's 12, 14, or 16 weeks, depending on the subject matter, then they get housed on Amazon Prime as a bingeable um, format. So again, we're, we're, we're in a space in television to where it's not a YouTube video made with an iPhone. We, we pay, you know, between Ian and myself, we've been in um, cable TV for, I don't know, 15 years each. So you've got 30 years of accumulative experience. If you're paying attention at all, you learn how to produce TV. So uh, we were, and we have, and we do, and I'm very proud of the TV that we produce because it's, it's nice quality. It's good quality stuff. And, um, and that's where we're at with our shows. What is so cool to me and interesting is I am I fit that demographic. Like I, I don't even watch cable TV anymore. I no. use apps and whether it's going on YouTube or Amazon Prime or something like that. And I think as consumers of information, we don't like the commercials either. I remember way back when, you know, it's like you build up to this point and it's you go to commercial break and I'm like, Come on, come back, I wanna see what the guys are doing and now we're just we want to find that outlet where we can watch it, get the information, and there is a there's a hunger for it. And I think it, when you were you telling me about your experience and and the vision that you and Ian had for this is I'm not I wasn't trained in doing podcasts. It was something where I was like I enjoy talking to 
to people who build things, who make parts, who race, who restore, have these emotional connections to a vehicle. And I just want to talk about it. So I've always looked at it like just an enthusiast and I can appreciate that. And I gravitate towards that in other platforms. So I'm really excited to see not just what you guys are doing with the C10, but this vision that you guys have for it, which I think is going to do really well with all of us who are enthusiasts and passionate, whether it's diesel trucks or cars or off-roading vehicles or anything like that. Well, I'm excited about it too, Patrick. And, and, and you know, you're not alone. You are, you know, people are changing the way, you know, television, you don't have to sit down and watch it anymore. Now yeah. television comes to me. I don't have to go to it. And that's a huge paradigm shift. And, you know, the saying is, if you're not growing, you're dying. And if you're not changing with the way people are consuming content, um, then, then you're going to end up dying on the vine. And, you know, it, the, the, it happened in the audio industry. It happened in the music industry. It's happening with television right now. The, the first uh, movie at Cannes Film Festival completely shot on an iPhone was two years ago. A motion picture. I mean, so this, this video revolution is happening now. High-quality video has never, ever been more accessible. It used to be that you had a $100,000 camera with a $60,000 lens when I started doing television. It ain't that way anymore. No. You know, you can get nice 4K, ultra-high resolution in a $1,000 camera. It's unbelievable. So people uh, have now have the opportunity to, to create their own content, but also, moreover, they have the opportunity to put it somewhere else where it's not going to cost you an arm and a leg to... Um, to, to have it produced or housed. Or somebody sitting in a chair in an office that's been paid for by millions and millions of other people is not going to wave their magic wand and say, I like this one, I don't like that one, I like this one, I don't like that one. No, you, you, know, you, don't, you look too much like that one. You know, th that happened to me in the music industry. And, and um, it was, it was uh, purely dictated by uh, A&R label heads and, and things. It had nothing to do with what kind of music we were making. It, it had everything to do with uh, how they wanted to manipulate the buying public. That is a paradigm changer that happened as well. Napster changed everything. Um, the proof in that pudding is that there's no more record stores anywhere. Uh, your main, um, you told me yesterday, your main outlet for your podcast is iTunes. Well, that's the yeah. record industry now. That's where people are consuming this stuff. So, it, what, what that does, it, it, it destroys part of the industry, but it, but it creates this wonderful avenue for people to express themselves like you. I love the fact that you're doing a podcast. And you told me you know, how many people listen to it. That's, that's boggling, man. That's fantastic. You know, um, it's, you know, in one way, we can say, oh, my gosh, television is disappearing. But it's not. Guys like you and me that, keep, that want to watch enthusiast-based television with integrity, we're just going to have to find somewhere else to watch it. So it opens up the door for guys like me and guys like Ian and guys like you know, maybe Tim Strange or whomever to not have to depend on a network to make the, the shows that we're passionate about making and not have to be dictated. You know, I don't want to throw stones because I'm friends with a lot of guys on some of the other shows. But I am so glad that I'm not forced into creating programming that fits into a template that, doesn't, that I don't agree with. And I'm trying to be careful with my words because I don't want to make anybody angry and I don't want to sound judgmental. 
But there's a reason that I'm not on a cable TV show right now. It's because, because I've turned a bunch of them down because I don't want to do that type of television. I'm not better than that. It's not where my time is served best. It's not where, where my passion is served best. And as we get not younger, and I'm as not young <laughs> than I used to be, um, I find that my time is more of a currency than anything else. And, um, you know, I, I don't want to make that, that type of television. So along comes Ian Johnson and says, hey, let, let's do it the way we want to do it. You know what you want to say. You know how you want to produce it. And, you know, uh, let, let's do it how we want to do it. I, I said, heck yes. Both barrels, all in, jump in, both feet. So um, I'm hoping that this format um, – has legs, if you will, and keeps on going. And the numbers are, are measurable and they're quantifiable. The first season of Hands on Cars, while it was airing from week one to, to, um, to 16, we, uh, we reached 3.4 million unique accounts, and we had uh, right at 2 million views accumulative. Wow. As, it sits, as it sits on Amazon Prime, we're streaming 1,000 to 1,500 streams a day without advertising it because people are just finding it. And that, to me, is incredibly powerful. I talked about um, where, where the power of television was shown to me by Stacey David. The other paradigm shift that's happened was last year when the power of social media and engaged viewers was shown to me by this mechanism that we're participating in. And you and I are sitting here talking and having this conversation because of that. And it's unbelievably great. It's wonderful. The challenge is monetizing. And that's it. But as we said before, advertisers are figuring out that where enthusiasts are is not locked in front of a cable TV set. Now the enthusiast has a TV in his garage. He's watching YouTube on his phone. He's looking at, you know, so that's, that's the key right there is you've got you to meet people where they are. I love that saying. And where people are right now consuming automotive television is, uh, is iTunes, it's Instagram, it's IGTV, it's Facebook, it's uh, YouTube TV. It's all these social media outlets that give guys like you and me and everybody listening the choice to, to watch good quality programming uh, and, and, and not be a slave to the dang cable remote. That's quite expensive, thank you. <laughs> well, that, that, that's something as well, that, that, that freedom, and it, and it identifies with a lot of our listeners are shop owners, or, or they work in the industry, and they've told me that same story themselves, like they worked at a dealership, and they had this passion for wanting to, you know, build trucks and lift them and do performance, and they, they needed to get that freedom. And I know that that message is definitely going to resound with them, but then also from the truck owner standpoint is... You know, we have a ton of Cummins fans and Duramax fans and Power Stroke fans, and they might not want to, you know, have to sit through something else and maybe get five minutes of it. They want a place to go to listen and absorb the content that they want. And that's where I think what you guys are doing is really exciting. And I look forward to seeing it and all these insights. You know, I mean, we get we get to all the, all the caveats, traps, and, and opportunities of restoring a vintage truck. Yeah, we're going to show you how we did it. And we're going to show you how we integrated this brand new platform and this drivetrain uh, into this vehicle. On top of that, moreover, we're going to show you how we, we wicked a little bit of power out of it. There's a lot of, of uh, tight XDs on the road. And there's a lot of guys that want to go into that next phase, that day two phase, where mm-hmm. you pump up the wick a little bit. So here comes, here comes, you know, here comes Josh <laughs> at CFT. 
and you know he's he's on the ground floor of all this stuff too. I don't know of anybody else that's offering the the performance upgrades that he's offering. So power to him, man. Thank goodness for Josh coming along. And uh, and again, you know we found each other on Instagram. And I said, hey man, here's what we're doing. He's, uh, are you interested? And he said, yeah, I'm interested. This is fun. <laughs> and um, so it's 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 a very cool so very cool format uh, to operate in. So guys that are listening, if you want to see a glimpse as to how we did all of this stuff, watch the series. It's called Hands on Cars, even though we're working on a truck. But hey, <laughs> 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 that's how we are. These insights are they're so they're so cool. I, I know that this episode I'm going to have to absorb it and listen to it a bunch of different times because there's so much great info about this build and about how to look at it and all these different things. So it's it, it was really cool to chat with you today and and uh, it's kind of a lifelong thing. Like I remember watching auto body things and I'm like, oh, that's how I paint. That's how I do this. That's how I do that. And and to be able to chat with you about a C10 with a five liter Cummins in it and. And uh, how to fit it and everything like that. It's just, it's so cool. Well, thank you, Patrick. I really appreciate you reaching out to me. And thank you for letting me into your world. You know, the the diesel high performance world is, I'm not going to say it's new to me, but it's not, it's not where I hang my hat. And, and, you know, guys know that. And I'm unashamed in saying that I'm not a heavy duty diesel mechanic. My brother is, but I'm not. And uh, it doesn't mean that I can't participate. It doesn't mean I can't be an enthusiast. And the thing that I like the most about um, about this uh, being on the ground floor of this platform with this five liter is that I, the learning curve to me is is just fantastic. So thank you for allowing me in uh, into your world. And you know, Josh has been awesome, and he knows that that, that uh, you know I'm a little bit green when it comes to electronic interface with uh, you know a powertrain with five different control modules and all that stuff. So uh, it's a cool thing for me to be uh, on your podcast and in this world with my foot in the water and, and learning. You know, uh, the learning curve is incredible, and I, I, uh, I, I've learned to, uh, to really enjoy that and, and see problem solving as, uh, as creating solutions instead of getting myself out of trouble. So I don't know. Uh, thank you for, for letting me babble on endlessly about this stuff. And, and of course, thanks to Plessy Cummins for starting this whole thing in the first place, right? Oh, exactly. Yeah, it's it's taken on a a fan base that I I know I know it exists in other platforms, but I know the Cummins fans we have, the listeners we have, they're passionate in anything, any type of vehicle with with that engine. That's that's what it is, and so I, I'm definitely as a fan, I'm very excited to see see this project come together, and then you know just be able to follow you guys and, and see what other things you work on, even if it's not diesel related. It's still a lot of it translates over. And, and to be able to learn and combine those two worlds is, is something that has us excited. Well, very cool. Well, thank you for having me. Don't forget, Diesel fans, make sure and go on Facebook and Instagram, follow Kevin and Hands on Cars, and be able to follow this build and see what he's doing as he takes you from the start all the way to when it's going to be out there driving on the road. You're not going to want to miss the details and the insights that he's providing on this particular build and then tons of other ones he's going to be doing throughout the year. Also check out PPI.com and Alligator Performance. Use podcast five at checkout, get 5% off your order and get your truck running the way that you want till next time. Keep the shiny side up.